Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today's interview with Mark Williamson, who is the COO of Masterclass, was a very, very interesting one. Throughout the two years that I've been doing this podcast, I've been randomly reaching out to people on Twitter uh, and bringing them onto the show and then ha- them opening up things that they've never really talked about with anybody else. And this one with Mark is particularly like that. He, a couple weeks before I reached out to him, had a very powerful meditation experience or maybe a very ordinary meditation experience where he disidentified with the ego, uh, which is a common goal that people have been practicing for many, many years are looking for. Um, and Mark had only come to this from Sam Harris's app, listening to podcasts, and then all of a sudden sits down for meditation and has this experience where he just stops identifying with the ego. Uh, and then I reach out to him, not knowing any of this, a couple of weeks later, uh, and he says yes, and then he comes on the show, and then I go into Masterclass, which didn't even know they had an office in San Francisco, and went over to interview him. Uh, and we have an hour and 30 minute long conversation. Usually I try to keep my podcast to about 45 minutes, but we, we went all the way to an hour and a half because it was so interesting. Um, it actually reminds me of my first episode uh, in it's in call, uh, the first episode I published with Jeremy Riney uh, and of just like how I run into these people who have these experiences. And then immediately afterwards, I interview them and get the timely nature of these experiences down recorded and so i'm really grateful for this opportunity it's it's why i love doing this podcast that i can benefit and hopefully my listeners can benefit from these profound experiences of people who are creative and are searching for the truth or have had the truth just kind of brought to them in various ways and so i'm really hopeful that you enjoy this episode episode and that you get a lot of value out of it If you do, please find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify by searching for Crazy Wisdom. And if you do like this interview, uh, it would be extremely helpful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Um, And yeah, I'm really hopeful that that you like this. And uh, I do want to let you guys know I'm running breathwork sessions, about four or five breathwork sessions on Zoom totally distributed for about 10 minutes for each breathwork session. I've been geeking out on the science behind breathwork. Um, and most of these techniques, they're, they're not going to change their, your life, but they will allow you to basically calm down enough so that you can see how you can change your own life. Uh, that's the value that they've played for me. And also they can help you regulate your autonomic nervous system. Uh, we talk about this a little bit in the interview, but your stress response happens whenever you have an internal perceived stress or external perceived stress and your body starts to release chemicals, hormones that have changes on your body. Uh, This is all happening autonomically, uh, and breath is also happening autonomically, meaning that you don't have control over it unless you then take control. And so breath work is a way that we can take control and essentially stress the nervous system in a particular way in order to rebalance it uh, so that these stressors become less overwhelming uh, to our body and our actual physical body. Uh, So I want to invite anybody who has found this conversation to be of interest to come to these breathwork sessions that I'm hosting four or five times a day on Zoom. 
Uh, if you are interested in that, please find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I, uh, and you can DM me uh, your email, and I'll add you to the email list. Um, again, that's at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I, on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, I hope you guys find it a value and come breathe with me throughout the day. Uh, have a great day. So welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, my guest here is Mark Williamson. Uh, he is the COO of Masterclass, um, and I'm really excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, so knowing that my audience is generally has one foot in the world of uh, hippiedom and one foot in the world of business, what would be the most interesting thing that they will get out of this conversation, do you think? Oh, that, that's actually a fantastic question. Um, if I only knew the direction we were going to go, I could answer that uh, beforehand. But um, you know, my, maybe my, my hope is, is that somebody hears something that sparks them to take some journey or some path. Um, you know, I've, I've had some, some of my most profound life experiences came from listening to podcasts and just having one or two statements said that uh, in hindsight now have totally changed my life. So mm-hmm. if I can say kind of one or two things that might spark somebody, I think that um, that'd be amazing. So what is meditation to you? Um, wow, great question. You know, I, I, think, I think the definition in my mind has evolved over time. So years ago, I was running a digital health company, and uh, I thought a lot about meditation in the context of stress management. So we know a lot of behaviors are driven by stress. And um, uh, at that time, I decided to try apps like Headspace and Calm, and none of them really landed with me. Um, But my conception of meditation was all about mindfulness, more like being aware of thoughts or experiences and understanding uh, how to control reactions to them. In the last few months, it's fundamentally changed from a view of meditation being about mindfulness to a meditation about accessing a new operating system for the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I know that might sound really odd to people, uh, and I encourage everybody uh, not to believe anything I say, but rather recognize that you can have these experiences in the lab of your own mind. So nobody should take anything I say about meditation to the extent that we talk about this uh, on faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a big person uh, when it comes to faith, um, uh, but my point of view around meditation has fundamentally changed simply from the first-person experiences I've had, although <laughs> I'm chuckling about using the term first-person yeah. uh, because we'll, we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, about, about the self and the ego and that it's all an illusion at some point, I imagine. Yeah. So operating system for the mind, what does that mean? Yeah. So I've spent all of my life, with the exception of the preceding last couple of months, um, well, that's not true. Uh, most of my remembering life in an operating system that was uh, ego identified. So uh, I would discursively move from thought to thought throughout the day. So discursive thinking, just simply think of that as bouncing from one thought to another. So I might wake up in the morning, uh, see my wife, and think, oh, so happy I'm, you know, so happy I married her, or that she married me. Um, oh, we have such great kids. Oh, my kids. Oh, yeah. Like one of my kids is this thing today. Oh, today at work. And you just bounce thought to thought the entire time. And so uh, to me, that always felt extraordinarily normal. I knew no other way of being. Um, until uh, a few months ago, I, I had a meditative experience where 
I got a glimpse, or a, in hindsight, I now recognize a, a numerous meditation experiences where I had a glimpse of a different operating system, uh, and then had an experience where uh, I found myself almost hurled into this new operating system without really understanding what was happening. Mm. Um, and you know, the, the the way I might describe this for folks, uh, you know, if, if people live it kind of you know business and and hippydom might might I'll, I'll try a technology metaphor. You know, I think we're born with a base operating system. And I think what spins up uh, once your default mode network comes online in the brain is a virtual machine that you start to run and live inside of. Mm. And that virtual machine is one that's constantly identified with thought. And it's the only way you know how to operate. And uh, I've been, I started using an app called uh, Waking Up by Sam Harris, which takes a predominantly kind of Vipassana slash Dzogchen approach to meditation, very insight-driven. And you can get to the point of recognition that there's a whole other operating system that's not wrapped in thought. And you can start to recognize that thought is more like, uh, the analogy I use around this is uh, thinking is a sense. So we oftentimes talk about senses, but I, I tend to think that thinking is actually a sense and that you can live in a world with an operating system where you don't need to orient to thought to know, which is actually a quite a trippy experience. But you can you can move about the world um, in a a state described by a, a guy named Locke Kelly as um, awake awareness, mm. um, knowing uh, non conceptual knowing is the way he frames it. And there are thoughts there too, but it's just that you don't identify with the thoughts, correct? Yeah, you know, thoughts certainly arise. There are ways to stop thoughts from arising. You can simply, uh, you know, take a second and look for the thinker, and you'll quickly recognize that there's there is no thinker, and then thoughts fade away. But the goal, in my mind, of meditation was quite ambiguous for quite some time, because I didn't understand what the end state might be. And having found this new operating system, I recognize that the end state is one in which you orient towards thought when you want to, as opposed to automatically. Mm. And, and it becomes a tool, essentially. It becomes a superpower mm. in, in ways that are non-trivial, so much so that there's a big part of me that wonders what the hell we're doing in Silicon Valley, huh. and why are we not taking this operating system and recognizing that it's such a superior operating system. If everybody talks about wanting to do better for the world, why are we not productizing this operating system in some way? And now, to a certain extent, uh, I should pull back and say, there are people doing this. So Sam is doing this with waking up. Um, uh, but I suspect that the intersection of hippiedom with business and technology uh, might be smaller than it needs to be in order to help uh, people see this other operating system because it is, um, and again, I, I know this will sound hyperbolic to most, but if you can run this operating system, you can escape from the suffering that's plaguing everyone. Mm. Uh, there is no anxiety. Mm. There is no beating yourself up about the past. There is no sense of I'm not good enough or insecurity, mm. um, which technology, unfortunately, over the last decade has done a lot to amplify those problems as opposed to solve them. Mm. And, uh, and, and, I, and I really do believe that uh, there's a huge opportunity to take this new operating system and, and get it out into the world mm. um, in mass. Mm. 
So I'd love to talk about that more, and I'd love to talk about how uh, to do that, your, your vision for how to do that. But then uh, something you mentioned is really interesting, thought as a sense, because uh, then we also have feelings, and feelings are tied to thoughts. They're on the same spectrum, it seems yeah. like. Um, so yeah. it's like a thought seems to be a little bit more of a solid uh, manifestation of a feeling, but they seem to be on the same spectrum to me. Uh, and then we have our senses, our auditory senses, what people call the five senses. Yeah. Uh, but then we have these other senses that most people talk about. And I imagine a lot of people assume that I'm going to go to telepathy and all these things, but I'm not actually. That's not what I'm talking about. There's something called uh, interoception. Uh, mm. So that's the feeling that we have in the gut feeling or our feeling of, of our of our insides basically mm. so uh so the feeling of the belly the feeling of the breath those are yes. all interoceptors basically are, are tied to the sense of interoception um and then if you investigate into the sense of touch as well touch is actually an umbrella term for many different types of sensors mm. uh so uh one of which is a pachinian corpsicle so if you touch your hand yeah. uh and you uh you vibrate it uh, that will hit the sensors of the Pacinian corpsicles, yeah. um, and our feet are tied at crazy, like have tons of Pacinian corpsicles all over them. Uh, but we block those receptions yeah. by our shoes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's actually like uh, this this five senses, which was both the model that um, people in India were under under the idea of, and the people in the in the Greeks were under yeah. the idea that we have these five senses. It's actually we have tons of different senses, and I love this, I love this idea of of thought as a sense. Yeah. Um, what do you want to talk about? Thought as a sense or the concrete vision for what it looks like to help or um, create a world in which there's less suffering by the use of technology? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite maxims is uh, never accept the premise of an or statement. Uh, so, <laughs> so maybe let's maybe traverse both. Um, and, and, and maybe first let's talk about some of the senses that, that you described. And, and to me... You know, uh, uh, one way I think about senses is independent of the sense, the only way you can recognize any sense is in consciousness. Mm -hmm. So all of our experience is in consciousness, right? So one of the things that we all learned sometime in grade school is how vision works, right? Light comes in through the eye, right? Goes through the optical nerve into the brain. And literally what I see right now sitting across from you is not you. I see a projection of you. Mm right? I, mm. My consciousness literally creates the space. Mm. And so everything we're experiencing is in consciousness, whether it's coming from different types of receptors or not, it's all input into the, into consciousness and awareness. And so one of the reasons why um, I remember when I first uh, intuited this notion that maybe thinking is a sense, it felt crazy and out there. And, I've, and I mentioned it to a few people and they're like, wait, what are you talking about? It didn't really land. And then funny enough, this weekend I was reading a book and literally a chapter is thinking is a sense. Okay. And so what is uh, uh, it's called Shift into Freedom uh -huh. by a guy named Locke Kelly. Mm -hmm. Locke I, I discovered via a talk inside of the Waking Up app. Um, and, you know, that notion that thinking is a sense uh, kind of, by the way, triggers a thought in my mind really quickly. And we'll come back to thoughts and feelings because I think there's something that you mentioned earlier I want to touch upon. But um, it triggered a thought that I wanted to say earlier, which is um, anybody listening should assume that anything I say that's smart came from somebody else. Uh, anything I said that's stupid is simply a byproduct of my own lack of deep thinking about it because honestly that's true in the world, mm. right? Like we're... Um, you know, if, if we teleported back in time 2,000 years ago, we'd be the smartest people on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and knowledge builds upon itself. And so most of the knowledge I have, I didn't uh, invent by any stretch of the imagination. 
But earlier you mentioned that feelings and thoughts are related. They're both appearances and consciousness. Mm. And oftentimes my perception, if you get to a state of mindfulness or you, or you can be deeply mindful, you can recognize that the sensation occurs before the thought. Mm. And oftentimes the thought is the explainer. It's almost like if your ego identified and if you're stuck in the operating system where you have to orient the thought for everything, what you're looking for is thoughts to explain the world. And so, uh, and I believe there's been fMRI uh, studies done that show that actually emotions arise well before thoughts, mm. right? Decisions are made before you're consciously aware of them, right? Mm. Uh, and so the sequencing of these things inside of the brain are, are quite in, uh, interesting as well. And that goes into, uh, well, the, okay, so there's a few things there I want to talk about. The, the first is that emotions, I've learned to be working with emotions uh, recently in a way that uh, you experience them. I experience them very quickly or mm. allow them to pass very quickly. Yeah. And then they, di they disappear yes. from my, 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 my body. Yes. And they just kind of like go. Uh, and then it doesn't leave a residue, basically. Yes. Uh, but if I don't do that, then I come up with a thought yeah. uh, thing. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and it's a, a rumination type right. of thing. That's right. Yeah. So the classic spin cycle is an emotion arises. The thought comes up that explains the emotion. And that just even thinking that thought causes the emotion to trigger again, which can cause another thought. And you can get caught in a cycle. And I think it's a lot of why everybody thinks about mindfulness. So that the tool you described is a classic mindfulness tool. You'll see the thought. You'll recognize it being attached to the emotion, you'll, and you'll know. You, you probably have some process in your mind that now says, if I feel this, I can just let this go and it'll pass. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, I think, think about meditation and mindfulness as being synonymous, and therefore think about it as largely stress management or some way to cure yourself of pathological responses to thoughts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think there's so much more there. Uh, and I think that there's a huge opportunity uh, for people to, to, to see that. And it seems like we are discovering more. This kind of goes into maybe the, the vision for how, how, these, how we can create uh, less suffering or, or stop as much suffering is that we are, seem to be discovering new things about the way that consciousness works. Um, would you agree? Um, I would, and I would also say we're rediscovering. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, one of the, the things that's been really interesting for me is the set of experiences I've had, uh, many of them guided, many of them unguided, uh, felt foreign, and I, at times I felt lost. And it's only after reading some books now about ancient practices that I recognize that what I've stumbled into, people have stumbled into over thousands of years. Mm. And what's incredible is, you know, this, this book I mentioned earlier, Shifting to Freedom, uh, Locke is somebody who spent time studying with what many would view as some of the greatest Tibetan lamas of all time, uh, you know, some of the greatest Dzogchen masters uh, and many different styles of meditation, then came back and became a practicing psychologist here in the U.S. and also is deep in the science of the mind. And so what's super interesting to me is that earlier you said, you know, we're discovering new things about consciousness. I think that's right. I think we're probably... It feels to me as though we're discovering more uh, or our technology is getting better and better to understand the sequencing of what happens in consciousness. Mm. Uh, and I haven't really quite heard anything that 
<laughs> that tells me what consciousness is, yeah. right? Uh, n- other than having an experience of it. And the thing that that brings to mind is that it is almost binary in a sense. It is or is not. Uh, but but and even mm-hmm. in that, everything happens within that substrate of consciousness. It seems like yeah. so. So even within that binary duality thing, there is this kind of substrate under which everything happens. So there is no there there is no you know there is no difference. Uh, w- you said something I really want to get uh, on, w- which is basically that we have 500 BC. It, we yeah. have uh, people in Greece coming up with some really interesting ideas about the way that the universe works. And then we yeah. have people in India also coming up at the same time. Yeah. Both of these places yeah. seem disconnected. Uh, uh, and then we have a period of about a thousand years where it's lost, where, yeah. where, every, where all the practices yeah. are lost. Uh, everything goes, goes away. And then around 900 AD, uh, it starts a little bit earlier, but it was the flourishing in Kashmir, India, um, a new innovation comes up, which talks about the sequencing of consciousness, uh, yeah. which I'd be very curious to hear if you've heard before, which is that any phenomena that arises, there is a beginning, there's stasis, and then there is end. Yes. Uh, and so so anything can be done. Uh, the sound of my voice, each 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 of the words that I'm describing, there's a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and then a new one arises, and that also works in consciousness. You can use it as a meditation practice. You can, you can, you can go onto your senses, find out which sense is predominant, follow that and then follow it to the end. And then there's two more factors in this as well. There's the factor of concealment and expansion or contraction and expansion. Mm. So most people on this planet right now are not aware that they are aware. Um, and yeah. so yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they're contracted. But that's there's no problem with that. That's just the nature of reality is that yeah. we get contracted and we all go through this in individual sense as well. And then there's expansion. And so Ultimately, it seems like if it feels really great to go more towards that expansion I've found in my life also can be very uh, uncomfortable because, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're in that fully expanded state, yeah. it, it, nothing seems re- nothing is you can you can't hold on to anything, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe let's try to maybe I'll just respond kind of in sequence. Um, you know, I think what you talked about to start with, uh, anybody listening to this podcast can experience it for themselves. The kind of uh, I think in uh I'm sure most practices, uh, contemplative, contemplative practices, have some notion of arising and passing away, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That everything arises in consciousness and eventually passes away. And uh, it's actually a core insight that is critical for awakening is impermanence, mm-hmm. right? This notion that everything shall pass, mm-hmm. right? And it's actually a core insight for life, yeah. right? If you know, As soon as you get tied up in this notion of the experience you're having now, uh, you, you know, won't go away or it's never going to get better, you can start to tailspin, mm-hmm. right? But if you can recognize and uh, truly understand that everything is impermanent, including our own lives, uh, I think that can play an important role in rewiring the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you talked a little bit about contraction and expansion. I, uh, for one, lived my entire life in a contracted state, right? Totally lost in my own thought. And extraordinarily self-absorbed in my thoughts to the point where I believe I was a good person. My parents raised me to be a good person, but I could come across as inconsiderate because I was uh, so dialed into what I was thinking, what made sense to me, what did I have to do? Even if I was running a business that was trying to impact the world in a positive way, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I was living so coupled inside of my mind that, uh, that my way of being in the world rubbed, I think, a bunch of people the wrong way. Or, or you know, it's funny, my, my wife jokingly would say, um, you know, sometimes you can be a nice hole. 
<laughs> like you're a nice person, but sometimes you just have this like sense of you yeah. and you know, I'm repeating that on a podcast I can go out in the world because I, I believe her perception was true. Um, and, uh, and I didn't, and I don't think anything changed until I got to that expansion phase for me, right? This recognition that consciousness can take a different form. There's another operating system that's running that by its very nature has a balance between inward focus and outward focus. And you're grounded in the sense of knowing without having to think and therefore your awareness can turn on itself and is consciously, you're consciously aware of yourself. Uh, but at the same time, you can be aware of other people and what's happening around you. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's what I'm trying to perfect these days. And that gets into a weird paradoxical thing because what you just talked about, that inward focus is almost like a contraction. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, the, in the outward, outward focus is mo most definitely an expansion as well. But in order to expand, sometimes you need to go inside. And so there's this weird like yeah. thing where it's like, but yeah. that, I really like what you talk about of being aware of it because that whole, it gets into this paradoxical state, which the mind can't comprehend really, yeah. but it That's right. opens to this right. beauty. So one of, the, one of the funniest things for me was, Years ago, I was seeing a therapist, um, and he would ask me, how are you feeling? And I would immediately respond with, well, I think. And I would do this over and over again, and repeatedly you'd have to say, Mark, every time I ask you how you're feeling, you would start with what you're thinking. And I was like, okay, I see that trend too. And he would hand me this sheet of emotions. And be like, <laughs> and I'm not kidding, I, I had this sheet of emotions in my wallet so that like, I could look at it. And, and so this is how out of touch I was with my own bodily sensations. I mean, I was so dialed into my mind that I couldn't even differentiate. Uh, it would take me a day or two to figure out how I felt about something. Um, and so one of the things that ended up happening in terms of my meditation practices, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to be focused inwardly but on bodily sensations, which unknowingly put me on a different type of path than I think a lot of people uh, have. I think mm -hmm. everybody's path is probably unique in terms of them discovering truths about their experience. Uh, but I spent hours and hours just focusing on bodily sensations so that I could actually start to understand my own body. And feel this, so that's interoception. Uh, that's somatic, oh, yeah. that, that somatic understanding. Okay. And that is actually the, the most helpful thing you can do for anybody who is who is who spends most of their time in the mind space yeah. is actually focus them on the somatic experience. I had a very similar experience where I would I was on meditation retreat and I was yeah. I've been taught for years. I had started 15 years ago with uh, somatic practices of uh, scanning the body. First few years was extremely difficult. Could barely do it. Guided yeah. guided was easier. Yeah. Uh, but then I started doing them on meditation retreats and I was doing them hours a day. And now I finally have this kind of sense of the body and I can really clearly feel the emotions quickly and let them pass and everything like that yeah uh why do you think it is that and this ties into a couple different things why why do you think it is that uh people today because it seems to be a very common thing that people are in their heads primarily most of the time most people um at least in the west are are, are in their heads for or identify most with their heads uh with the, the the identity they have of what what's going on in their head uh why do you think that is Okay, so um, I, I'll start with a broad statement of ignorance, mm. but, uh, I'll, but nevertheless, <laughs> I shall throw out a hypothesis. You know, I think a lot of these insights connected themselves to religious beliefs at certain points in time. And as far as I can tell, there's some level of belief in a number of these practices that consciousness 
may or may not be reincarnated in some other mm-hmm. point in life, if and only if you might understand some level of consciousness. Therefore, the ways to access the, the, the operating system I talked about earlier have been shrouded and hidden and kept a secret, as best I can tell, out of fear that one might be told how to access the operating system, get a glimpse of it, and not fully appreciate and understand it. And therefore, if you do that, you might block somebody's path to seeing that and then ultimate you know, reincarnation or some other thing in the future. Mm. So to me, the most shocking thing is, oh my God, we're in an epidemic across the world, right? So my, my current hypothesis is so much suffering is called, because if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the base level needs are actually needed to be happy, mm. right? Mm. Some, uh, so, you know, if you don't have food, shelter, <laughs> connection to people, you need those things to be happy. As you move up those hierarchy of needs, you don't, I mean, at a certain point, self-actualization really isn't a need mm-hmm. as much as it is might be a want. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think that some of the most miserable people we see on the planet are people that would otherwise appear to be quote-unquote successful. They've got money, fame, or other things, and they end up having drug problems or other issues in their lives. Mm-hmm because they're unhappy. And I can only imagine the psychology in their mind. Their psychology in their mind must be everything that society tells me I need to be happy, I have, but yet I'm not happy, why? And it's because there's this lack of recognition around you can never be happy so long as you're ego identified. If you're wrapped up in your own thoughts, there's always a thought about somebody more attractive, more intelligent, more successful, uh, there is no pinnacle. And so, you know, you'll have satisfaction. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people I talked to uh, who worked decades on a startup, finally had what was considered to be quote unquote success and enjoyed it for like a couple of days, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then they're like, oh my God, what do I do now? Um, and so I suspect, you know, we, we have so much suffering in the world because we've moved up Maslow's hierarchy needs. More and more people have their base needs met. They're realizing they're unhappy. They don't know where to turn. There's other psychological principles that, uh, that are holding them down. Like we care more about our relative status than our absolute uh, well-being, mm-hmm. right, in the world. Uh, and so that's, you know, had economic and political repercussions across the globe, as we saw. the. Lo- I, I actually think that's the driving force of Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm is that what humans are wired for, for for happiness is my relative status amongst people, not my absolute status. So despite the fact that almost everybody on the planet now is living demonstrably better than anybody on the planet was 100 years ago, I bet you our net happiness is down. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, in ancient texts and in ancient practices, there's this solution that's been hidden. And, uh, and I think it, it would be a shame if if we don't find a way to, you know, societally bring that bring that to the masses. Well, and it's interesting because it's hidden, but not only because of reasons for um, uh, reasons of that it was in the past or that it's that it was destroyed or anything like that. It's also hidden from con- consciousness because of this contraction thing. For, yeah. For example, yes. like yeah, yes. when I when I was first starting, I would read something like uh, observe the observer. And I would have no yeah. idea what that meant. <laughs> yes. Absolutely yes. no idea. Yes. And it, and it yes. took me years, like literally years, before yeah. I, I heard it. And then yeah. know, I was like, oh, oh, there it is. Yes. And that's that, that, yes. that's, that's that expansion yeah. kind of thing that happens. And it's yeah. like, can you, can you um, 
motivate that or can you change that process? Can you speed someone up into that? I feel like it's already happening based on stress. I think people are undergoing so much stress. And this is what I want to ask you about. Yeah. about Because um, you, you, we talked before this and you talked about software eating attention. Uh, yeah. And that sounds very, very similar to what we're talking about here. Yeah. And it feels like people are recognizing because we adapt as human beings to this, this, yes. this attention thing that we see our attention getting sucked into these things. And I think a lot of it is coming from these people that you talked about who have these higher... Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and these ones are the ones where the attention is getting sucked into this kind of like virtual space even more. Yeah, that's right. And so, the, yeah, the, I think the premise we'd um, Stuart and I did a really quick call, not pre-planning on any of this. As people can probably tell by this point, uh, <laughs> and just kind of said, "Hey, maybe some fun things to talk about." And one of my premises is um, software is eating the world, or sorry, so Mark Andreessen's is software is eating the world. Mine is software is eating everybody's mind. Mm. And the challenge is, is that everybody's figured out how to create software that plays against the worst of our uh, ego-identified instincts, which is the status game, right? So whether you're on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, it's about likes and followers, et cetera. And, uh, and so, you know, we are wired for these dopamine hits, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, how do you get out of playing ego status games, right? You know, I, I read recently a quote. Now, I'm going to say this is attributed to Einstein, although I think most of the quotes attributed to Einstein probably weren't him. I think oh. everything kind of gets attributed to him. But, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if this one is right or not, but it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, you can't solve problems created at one level of consciousness from the same level of consciousness, right? And I don't think we can solve these ego-identified games from the same level of consciousness. And so what we're mostly doing is nibbling around the edges with things like mindfulness, mm-hmm. where I think unless you can shift yourself into a separate mode or operating system, uh, you're going to be in a losing battle. Mm-hmm. Because the problem is is that not only do humans adapt, but organizations adapt too. So, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's it'll be Facebook against the adapting human for your attention over and over again, mm-hmm. right? And Facebook's got how many billions of dollars to figure out how to win this game, mm. right? I mean, they're literally building things to read your mind, mm. right? Mm. not putting that thing ever on my head. <laughs> um, and I think it's a losing proposition unless you move to another, uh, another, another operating mm. system. And interestingly, I had the exact same experience you did, which mm. is, uh, you know, Sam's pointing out instruction. Uh, so I should, I should back up. A pointing out instruction is um, from a meditation teacher uh, where they just try to help you recognize something in consciousness. They're just kind of, it's almost like you have a tour guide. It's like, hey, you notice that thing over there? So the point out instruction is like, look for who's looking. And I, and I mean, I just sat there for months, months being like, I'm looking. I don't know what Mark's looking. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, I should have asked if I can swear no, on this fine. podcast. That's it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, what I ultimately came to realize was I was so thought driven, I tried to think my way into an insight. And there is no thinking your way into an insight. And as Locke Kelly, I think, states really well in his book, um, only awareness can recognize awareness or consciousness can recognize consciousness. So really what you have to do, and I I think Locke, I mean, one of the things that's super interesting about the world of meditation is that uh, as I've read more and more, all these practices seem to generally teach the same thing, but using different types of instructions. And so... I honestly do believe that if we could open source this mm. knowledge mm. in some way, right? If there's like, hey, here's the open source manual for different levels of the mind, come up with the best ways of teaching these levels of the mind. Mm. Uh, you'd have tons of innovation because Locke's approach to teaching uh, kind of non-duality, 
you know, the, the, the non-dual nature of consciousness is by having you shift your awareness from place to place, mm -hmm. which I think is more approachable and easier for some folks. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really a problem of teaching, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Because mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the problem I had was the, uh, the observer. So observing the observer, noticing that anything that's in my phenomena and in my experience, awareness can observe that. And if I shift my identity from the thing, from the being identified with that phenomena to something that's being observing that phenomena, so that there was super abstract for me. Yeah. How can I make that yeah. not abstract for somebody? Because it seems like somebody who is just kind of getting into mindfulness and yeah. it's like, oh, what is this stuff? You know, yes. I'm still coming from at this point of like view of mechanical universe yes. that the only thing that exists is this yes. mechanical universe. How do we break that down in a way that might get them there maybe five years earlier yeah. or would that be too stressful or like yeah. is there something about the nature of, of consciousness that doesn't uh in that path because a lot of people talk about this pathless path so that there is no path that, yeah. that we're you know it's all right here right now like all it needs is that momentary shift yeah. and, and like the thing that i've found the most beneficial in having that happen for me is hanging around with people who have been there before um or who are there or who are spend most of their time in that space of awareness or that upgraded operating system yeah. and there's something transferring um, in the intimacy of discussion or conversation yeah. with them but then at some points it doesn't become that it becomes it becomes like it can't be dependent on other people as well so it's it's this weird thing I don't know if w did any of that no a bunch of that resonated okay. I mean look uh, you know I I don't believe that they're, I, I don't believe I have a self. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not the author of my thoughts. I'm not the author of the words coming out of my mouth. They just come out of my mouth, right? And I think experientially, any of us can recognize that we get into conversations and we don't know what we're about to say next. It just kind of comes up, right? Yeah. And so the reason I, I mentioned that is another way to imagine conversations is you're allowing somebody else to think for you, right? Uh -huh. Or when you read books, you're yeah. allowing somebody else to think for you, well, right? Yeah. And, and in that construct, um, you know, what's the old saying? You're the, um, you're the average of the five people you hang out the most with the most, right? There's probably a grain of truth in that because their thinking invades your mind, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or enters into your consciousness and you're bathing in the thoughts of the people you hang out with the most often. And so if you're hanging out with people who've experienced a new operating system, you will mm -hmm. yep. more likely um, get shifted, get or, shifted yeah. or, or maybe be more open to even doing it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's no coincidence that I listened to a bunch of Sam's podcasts and appreciated his way of thinking in the world, right? In a world that's very much black or white, right? Mm -hmm. You're either on the left or you're on the right. Mm -hmm. And there's no tolerance for middle nuanced ground, right? Sam does try to stake lots of nuanced positions. And I appreciate the thoughtfulness he put into it. And so it was through listening to his podcast that I then got almost my mind open to the notion of like, well, maybe this meditation thing is something I should give a shot to, oh, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, half of that, honestly, is a, a premise for the business I'm in now, uh -huh. right? So uh, this is not a commercial for Masterclass, but, you know, if you're going to spend time learning from people, you know, why not learn from the very best, mm -hmm. right? Why not learn from people who've really been there and done it and bathe your consciousness, like, in their thoughts, mm -hmm. right, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's one of the ways uh, I find many meanings in my work, but that's, one of, that's certainly one of them. Are you guys planning on doing meditation classes or um, reaching out to Sam Harris? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I think we, uh, we believe that there's probably very little that can't be taught on Masterclass. Uh -huh. In, in novel and new ways. And 
you know, I think it's we're looking at spaces that people would be surprised we'll get into, and I think this year you'll see us get into a whole bunch of stuff mm. um, that would be surprising, and, and you can probably tell my level of conviction around uh, meditation is pretty high. <laughs> uh, having said that, I, I certainly try to practice some form of, you know, uh, church and state, right? Separation between my personal life and what it, what I believe to be true versus what's right for the business. Mm. Although, having said that, meditation has transformed how I Your make business. decisions at work oh. and and how uh, and how I make yeah. I, would, I mean, that's a that's a common theme I talk about on the show is how can these practices, which are separate from material, you know, it's like you observe. Uh, it's that we're talking about this observer. We're talking about this upgrading consciousness. But at the same time, it does seem to be that the byproduct is clearer thinking, and clearer thinking leads to doing better business. Would you? What do you? What do you think of that? Yeah. So why don't um, let me just rattle off a, a few thoughts and let's see how they they land with you. So, you know, if you're ego identified, what you're in the battle for with your own mind is your own attention. So in Silicon Valley, you know, there's so much hustle porn on Twitter. I find it hilarious. I mean, I mean, absolutely stunningly hilarious that everyone's trying to show and signal to everybody else how much time they're putting into something. Uh, I can tell you from experience that the amount of time I've put into something is relatively unimportant relative to the amount of tension it gets. And so, you know, you can be quote unquote working on something, but if your mind keeps getting distracted over and over again, are you actually getting anything done? Mm. So, you know, a reasonable hypothesis is that, you know, two hours of crystal clear thinking is probably way more work than eight hours of, of your standard distractedness, mm. right? And so, you know, if you can get into a new operating system, all of a sudden your degrees of freedom are immense. You can have, um, you know, this operating system I'm, I'm referring to is innate in all of us. Every single one of us has it. It's not special to me uh, at all. And, but it is like boundless attention. Uh, I remember one of the first times I had a long meeting um, having, uh, I was accessing this operating system for the first time in a long meeting. And I actually counted because I had enough attention. I got lost in thought twice in a five-hour meeting, huh. which sounds like nobody would believe that and I wouldn't believe it either and most people who probably do meditation are like no fucking way that can't be true but if you can turn awareness back on itself and actually focus back on that awareness and locking it in place um, you can have profound attention profound clarity of thought uh, and your mind it's almost like it um, it know you know it's like it, it's this uh, non-conceptual knowing uh, in any conversation of, of what you should do without needing to think about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the ways that it greatly impacted me and changed uh, immensely the course of a big decision I made here at Masterclass was, um, you know, I spent some time with David, the CEO and co-founder here. He and I were talking, I mean, we talk all the time, but he and I were talking about, hey, how can we best service the mission of this business, right? Um, you know, I didn't join Masterclass for a title or for anything else, but rather to have the impact I I hope to have on the world. And if that's really what I'm interested in doing, then I shouldn't care about anything other than the impact. Um, and it took me getting to a spot of deeper selflessness, meaning a recognition of lack of self, to realize that the role I was playing in the, in the company was too big. Mm. Um, uh, so I've got a, a relatively meaningful portion of the company that reports to me. Um, but I realized that the way my mind works would be better if I spent my mind's time on something else. And the thing I had to give up is the thing I've identified with my entire career, which is product engineering and growth. Mm-hmm. So like at my core, if you asked me, you know, 
who are you professionally and where's your core competency? I'd probably say those types of things. Um, uh, but before I was able to kind of get to this state of uh, loss of self and recognition that it was simply my ego uh, was stopping me from seeing that the right answer is no, we should go hire a chief product officer and mm-hmm. I should give up what would probably amount to 80% of the people that report to me, mm-hmm. which is a probably a non-standard thing to do. Most people are trying to accumulate power uh, through you know accumulation of resources. But if you can get yourself to a state where you realize status doesn't matter, uh, perceptions don't really matter, uh, what you really care about is the outcome that you want to drive in the world, then you can uh, flex into different different answers uh, than you might not have you might not have otherwise seen the answer. That's really good. So there's a few things, a lot of things that I want to talk about from that. Uh, yeah. the, the first thing that I, really quickly is that is somebody recently told me about what is your North Star. Uh, that's a good question to ask in terms of. Uh, uh, narrowing down exactly what it is that's driving yeah. us um, and and what is the what change yeah. we want to make in the world and then it's something I really want to it's really important I got from a friend of mine Francis Pedrasa who is the CEO of a company called Invisible who I've had on the show a couple of times uh, he wrote a blog post years ago about uh, it, this is going into the thing you mentioned about uh, time and hustle porn uh, that it's the really difficult things like you said of making these decisions these difficult decisions is not time and not energy it's it's psychic energy so it's the ability ability to focus attention and awareness into one moment and really and i'll i'll um i'll tie this to something else that i've been working with which is that i've been working with a coach recently who has a way of pointing out something about me uh that is very uh, uh true so he'll be able to say something about me which gets to the truth of what i'm talking about and i'll have all these rationalizations these thoughts about like why that isn't true uh a lot of which are false uh and but it it requires this degree of like psychic like okay i want to see this i want to understand this about myself and like and it's like almost um uh, what they call in yoga is itcha shakti which is like this energy that you have to discover the truth right now okay yeah uh, and that that seems to be what you're talking about because that's the exponential thing and that's the crazy thing because we have these technologies exponential technologies but we also have exponential awareness and ex- exponential consciousness yeah what do you think about that so I'll start with the North Star mm. so funny enough I, I hadn't thought about this until you talked about North Star and I, and I thought about the North Star for Masterclass and I was like wait I've had the same North Star for three companies in a row oh. <laughs> um, which is lives transformed that's mm. it absolute number of lives transformed is the only thing that matters mm. um and uh, I just realized that now. But um, cool. so that, that's my, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's three companies. The, the, the first of those three was a education company for kids. The second was going after uh, cr- the chronic disease epidemic. Mm. And then the third one being Masterclass. Mm. Um, but they were all about um, not, not incrementally changing somebody's mind, but to, like true transformations. Mm. Um, and so that, that to me is... Um, and now, as I, even I think about angel investments and other things I've done, I, 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 I definitely over-index on that dimension, for sure. Um, you know, to your second point around almost like kind of energy and focus, um, you know, one of the things I found that's super interesting is I can, uh, I, I, I should note, I, I had my first experience um, in this new operating system in a very unique way, which is my family and I were about to go on a trip to Europe. And... I had the loss of self the night before we left. And I woke up the next morning and the world was fine, right? I wasn't hustling to the airport. I had like no rushing. There was no judgment. Like 
and my whole family was like, what the hell's going on, right? This is really normally, weird. normally you would have had a lot of anxiety or something like Not that? Not anxiety, or, but yeah. like I am, the rest of my family, I think likes to move at leisure because we all play roles in our family, right? My role in the family is very much like, I'm going to keep us moving. I'm going to mm-hmm. keep us on time, right? Mm-hmm. And like, there was none of that, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> everyone's great. Like, we're going to get there. Like, everything's fine. Um, and I had the benefit of having that experience before launching into a two-week vacation, which I think was probably, in hindsight, you know, it's, it was funny at the time. I was like, this is the worst time this can happen. Mm-hmm. I've been looking forward to this trip with my kids to bond with them. As it was happening. As it was happening. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm having this experience. Um, in hindsight, it was the best thing that could have ever happened because um, it was probably the only space I could have been in where I could hold on to that. So I think what I've been reading is a lot of people might – you might experience this new operating system, but it'll be fleeting. Mm-hmm. It'll fall away. Basically, the VMware will spin back up, mm-hmm. right? And you don't yet, if, unless you have a lot of mindfulness, uh, I'll stick with the technology theme. You don't have a cron job or a daemon running that is looking for reinstantiations of the VMware or the ego identification to kill it, right? <laughs> but I was in a world where I'm on vacation and I don't need to be in meetings. And so... I, had, I don't need to, like, act. I can just be really mindful the whole time. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I got an unfair advantage there. And what's funny is I got back, and I got a kidney stone a few weeks <laughs> later, a couple weeks later, and I became so inwardly focused to manage pain. Mm-hmm. I had it for eight days, so it kind of really sucked. Um, I lost the new operating system. It went away for a while, and I and I spent weeks looking for it again. I was like, I tried all the things I tried before. I dropped the sense of self, and it didn't happen again. And I was like, where the fuck did that thing go? And I was like trying to retrace my steps, and then I heard Locke Kelly's description of it, and I was like, bang, okay, I'm back. Wait, and the, did the first time it happened in a, the Sam Harris podcast? It happened in his app. So it's called the Waking Up app. And and the app is fantastic. Uh, it will teach you everything from uh, the basics of mindfulness and very quickly transition into recognizing the non-duality of consciousness. And mm-hmm. when I say non-duality, I've said it a few times, so I should probably describe what I mean there. Um, uh, you know, a dualistic view is one in which you um, imagine, uh, I imagine almost everybody listening to this podcast uh, has some sense that they are behind their eyes, in their mind, mm-hmm. and that that's where they're located, mm-hmm. right? There's a subject in there, and that that subject is the one making decisions and doing everything, right? A non-dual view is a recognition that that, uh, that feeling of that subject is actually an illusion, mm. and you can, you can see it as an illusion, uh, and you can see that either in a gradual fashion or in a direct fashion. Mm. Uh, the pointing out instructions that you and I have kind of both been referencing is very much a direct mm. approach to, uh, to that non-dual nature of consciousness. And so, yeah, so I, I, I basically had this really, what I've now learned is not necessarily normal, which is I, at the same time I realized this non-dual, meaning I, I lost a sense of self, I landed in the operating system in a stable way. Mm-hmm. Normally it's non-stable, like the VMware spins back up, you're back identified with thoughts. Mm, very quickly. Yeah, and when I came back, what's funny is when I came back, mm. you know, I was like living in the world and I was trying to figure out my way and then kidney stone comes and it goes away and I had to like struggle to find it again and it's funny enough just this past week like the paths to get back into that that operating system uh, you know uh, came to me or not didn't come to me as in I didn't see them but I heard it talked about in a way that I was like oh yeah that's how I got there that's that's the set of instructions and as soon as it was I mean it was crazy because as soon as it was read like said out loud my mind just went there it was like oh yeah that's that door that door that door boom you're there that's oh, great. so interesting that it works for you that way. I guess it works for me in a similar way. But, but uh, uh, reading or hearing someone else seems to be the trigger for you, which is 
so there's really interesting concepts that I've been coming into uh, experiential awareness of is this idea of conditioned joy and unconditioned joy. So uh, what the yogis call nanda and ananda. Uh, nanda being conditioned joy, so this kind of joy that is happiness that is conditioned based on status, on or, uh, money, on all these different things. Yeah. And then there's ananda, which is unconditioned joy. Yeah. Uh, and if it's unconditioned, you can't work towards it. There's nothing you can do in order to get it, yeah. except it does seem to come about through conditions because you do more meditation, you listen to somebody, and then it comes about, um, which is very interesting. There's so, another point. So, so I was going to say, like, so, so one of the reasons why I suspect that I, I had this odd experience is um, I, I mentioned earlier that I was so out of touch with my emotions that I, I would mm. spend time meditating and focusing on my sensations. And I got to have pretty, what I would call trippy meditative experiences just, but, but I would never lose a sense of self. Mm. What I've come to realize is that the meditative experiences I was having is what Locke would describe, Locke Kelly would describe as um, open-hearted awareness, but I was having it in a dualistic sense, meaning the sense of self was still there. And so maybe the analogy, I realize this all sounds crazy probably to, to most people listening, but the analogy I would give there is imagine riding a bike, you're wearing a backpack and the weights in the backpack keep shifting. And the weights in the backpack keep shifting making it harder and harder to maintain balance. And they might thrust really hard. And to think of that as being thoughts. So for me, I could get into that state but as soon as thoughts would arise, like the backpack shaking and I fall off the bike, right? And it wasn't until I married that meditative experience with looking for the self that basically the back, like I dropped the backpack, right? Mm -hmm. And then I was just riding the bike and I mm -hmm. rode it for a couple of weeks Ooh, and then right. I fell off the bike and then the VMware spun back up and I tried to shut it down again and it's like, oh shit, I don't know how to shut that thing down. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And the well, and it makes sense in my intellectual mind. The whole time I'm thinking about this, I don't I don't think I've dropped a sense of self except in times of like uh, flow or anything like that. Mm, yeah. And it's really interesting. Oh no, I'm losing it. Um, uh, stream entry. Uh, so I've I've heard of this word. The Buddhists use they use they use this term called stream entry, mm. uh, and it sounded like that sounded like that, uh, where it's you enter into the stream of conditions and causal causality, and it's just like uh, there is no there is no backpack anymore essentially. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to talk about is that you said that for some people it happen, happens suddenly, and for other people it happens uh, slowly. And it's really interesting because I've been ex I have a lot of fear over over it happening very quickly. Uh, mm. uh, so I have I have a fear of this of this of this uh, immediate realization of the truth. But it also seems to be that it, it's not probably not going to be an immediate thing for me. Uh, it seems to be that it's layer or layer after layer kind of attrition over time. Uh, somebody once described it as ego attrition, um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what seems to be what's happening. It doesn't, there is, it do, I've not had, I do not have these type of like really powerful, intense experiences. It's like I wake up in the morning and all of a sudden I'm like, this practice is easier or something like that. Yeah. So it's like, it's interesting and not, yeah. not, and so it's like what I'm trying to say is that basically to the listeners, it doesn't have to be this gigantic cosmic kind of thing. It can be very simple. Like you said, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's very, uh, none of this stuff is extraordinary. Um, like it's just, it's simple, right? Yeah, yeah I, th I think there was a, a great quote in a book I was reading, which is, it's so ordinary, it's extraordinary. Uh, it's extraordinary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and which is, um, which uh, experientially speaking is true. Mm. Um, and, and I'll tell you, the new operating system is, is actually, um, when I first lost the sense of self, um, I felt a little bit like, okay, now what? Or unstable for... 30 seconds a minute um, 
or actually you, you kind of lose time, so I'm not quite quite sure how long that lasted for. Um, but then it felt like I was home. Mm. Uh, and it, there's this um, peace and calmness that was omnipresent. And you know, one of the things we all, now look, it's not like the self doesn't spin back up for me, right? It still spins back up. I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't. But it, when I find myself lost in thought, it's the trigger mm-hmm. to, uh, or if I'm suffering at all, it is literally the trigger to, to re-enter, to, to recognize mm-hmm. that I'm now ego-identified, and there's a process that my mind has now that can put me back and basically shut down the VMware, go back to the base operating system, and everything's great, yeah. right? Uh, and it happens quickly. That, I don't, I don't that, think I'm... That trigger... That yeah, I mean, it's starting to happen more quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny enough, you asked me that like three days ago. Like, it's funny. <laughs> I, was, my, uh, I was at a football game with my wife. My, my, my daughter's on the high school cheer team. And I'm sitting there. My parents are visiting. I was on a call for work as I'm going to this like Friday night football game. And I was on this call and I realized I was ego-identified <laughs> when I sat down with my parents. And I'm like, I shouldn't yeah. be ego-identified right now. I just want to be in the moment or in the present mm. with my parents mm. uh, and, and my wife. And Tara, my wife, was looking at me. She's like, she saw me running through the process in my mind. So it probably <laughs> took like four or five seconds. Uh, um, she saw me and she's like, are you meditating? And I literally gave her this like, really weird answer, which was like, no, but kind of. Uh-huh. I don't know how to describe it. But anyway, so like, it's not an instantaneous, but it's, you know, within seconds. Mm. Uh, And I have no idea if that's normal or not, because the oddest thing is that um, I've never talked in depth about this at all with anybody. Um, Mm. Mm. So this is the first kind of conversation I'm having about it. But as far as I can tell, in terms of reading stuff, um, uh, it's just, I think everybody's journey is different. And and while what I'm saying might sound crazy, but anybody who's listening uh, can have their own version of this. Mm. It, It won't unfold in the same way for everybody. Uh, but there's absolutely access to a to a better place that can be found, and it's effort. It can be effortless. There are things that are that are effort uh, uh, based on effort, and then there are other things that are totally effortless and like really easy, uh, and just like yeah. they don't take any. Uh, it's just like oh, oh, there it is, and and. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. uh, the, the funny thing is, my wife and I, when we were the, when I was doing those meditations to find like my to feel my like to feel emotions. I got to this point where I mentioned before I was like going into these deeper meditative states and I would say the, it was right in the middle of Game of Thrones and Bran, you know the character Bran yep. from Game of Thrones and how he would like roll his eyes in the back of his head and just go into this state. We jokingly would call my experience going to Bran mode because mm. uh, mm. I would lay down, I'd have a weighted blanket on top of me to help me just feel my body a little bit more and I would just, I would, we would call it Bran mode and so the funny thing is that like if I say the words Bran mode, my brain just like the process starts. Mm. So it's mm. like, so some people have, I think in the world of um, uh, Dzogchen, it might be, uh, I think the word is uh, Rigpa, mm. uh, which is kind of, uh, uh, it, it's basically that, the, the word for the new operating system. Mm. Uh, so it's yeah. really interesting. Whoever wrote that Game of Thrones thing probably has uh, training in yoga uh, because there is a yoga technique where you uh, lift your eyes towards the third eye, basically. So you, you uh, uh, raise your eyes up and then you place your tongue at the back of the roof of your mouth. Uh, and the mythology behind this practice is basically uh, that it will release Amrita from the pituitary gland, mm-hmm. uh, Amrita being the uh, nectar of bliss. Uh, and so at first you'll f- feel a metallic taste. Uh, and then eventually you'll you'll feel a uh, sweet taste uh, yeah. coming from it. Uh, and then the mythology says that you no longer need food uh, and uh, or water. Uh, and uh, and and so um, 
Uh, but that, that, that uh, also sh uh, warning that that is a very intense practice, so, so don't do that. Uh, find a teacher if you want to understand more about that. Don't necessarily yeah. do that. Uh, and this brings to me a question. Have you ever had a teacher or have you ever had a one-on-one -on -one kind of um, interaction with somebody who guides you in a way or anything like that? You know, I, I, I haven't yet. Mm. Um, uh, although it's necessary. It, well, I would say a couple of things. One mm. is Sam's app certainly, I would say, has been my primary teacher. Mm. Um, I was super lucky. I At one point in time in my career, I was a, um, an EIR at a venture capital firm, and one of the partners there is a guy named Gus Tai. And Gus is really deep into meditation and a, and a great guy. I don't know if you've ever talked to him, but mm. um, you should have him on the podcast. Mm. And I um, uh, I was, <laughs> talk about luck. I, I come back from my trip uh, from Europe, and there's an EIR alumni dinner, oh. and Gus is there, mm -hmm. right? And I was like, I got to ask Gus, like, what, what the, the fuck <laughs> is going on with me? Like, <laughs> yeah. what has happened? And so um, Gus uh, has been kind enough at, at points when I felt lost to kind of answer questions or to give me reassurance or to point me to books or other things. But, but by and large, it's been books mm -hmm. um, uh, and, uh, and apps. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, so software is eating our attention. Uh, what can we do uh, either personally, I guess we've already been talking about it, but what, what, what are the, some of the things that we should know about this process of software eating our attention or eating our minds? Yeah. So, well, first of all, there's lots of things you can do without having any of the experiences that Stuart and I are talking about. And so, um, you know, one way to fight the battle is to understand from first principles how it's being, how, how the war is being waged against you. Mm. So I can tell you from firsthand experience that a bunch of people in Silicon Valley have taken B.J. Fogg's class at, over at Stanford at the Persuasive Technology Lab, and they all understand what's called behavior design. And behavior design is this notion of what drives people to have certain behaviors. And B.J. has got a set of frameworks around that where behaviors happen when three things come together, motivation, ability, and a trigger. So the simple analogy to understand this is, okay, if my phone rings right now, I'm not picking it up because uh, my motivation is extraordinarily low. I'm doing the podcast. Like, I'm not answering the phone, right? Mm. Um, if I got a call, so, oh, I'm sorry, um, sorry, somebody calls, I'm doing a podcast, my ability is really low. Let's say somebody calls who I don't want to talk to or I don't recognize the number. Mm. Well, it's likely a robocall, so my motivation is really low. Let's say my ringer's off and I don't get the call. My, I, I never got triggered. Therefore, by definition, I couldn't take the call. So mm. that's a simple way to think about each of those elements. Um, and realize what everybody is playing on is your motivation by and large, right? And they're triggering you as much as possible. So how do they play on your motivation, right? It's likes, it's comments, and then how do they trigger you? It's uh, notifications, yeah. right? So if you're gonna fight the war for your own attention, start by understanding the principles that they use. And so um, one way to also think about motivation is motivation changes over time, right? We all know that. We've all lived in January uh, at some point <laughs> in time, and everyone's got motivation for new year, new you, right? Yeah. And the motivation is real, right? So there's this notion of a motivation wave. So motivation will change over time. So, so when you feel like actually protecting your time, or even right now, if you're feeling like, oh my God, atten my attention is getting eaten, pop open your phone, go into the settings, and just turn off notifications for all the apps that are just eating your attention. That means Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the like. Um, just shut down all the notifications, and your life will fundamentally change, mm -hmm. right? Even better if you can uninstall the apps, but you know, baby steps. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just start taking small steps to protect yourself. 
Um, and go ahead and read about BJ Fogg's model. Uh, I think he owns, I forget the domain name, but if you just search BJ, two letters, and then Fogg, F-O-G-G, uh, behavior design or behavior model, you'll get to his site. He's got some great videos. Watch it and spend ten, give it 10 minutes of your attention and it will reach, the ROI on your retention will be the biggest thing in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, th- th- this brings up an interesting point, which is that, so in my own personal life, I think my North Star is, is it has something to do with courage and it has something to do with following courage. So if there's a choice that, that it between is between uh, doing something courageous or not, or whatever brings up fear, that's what I go to. Uh, and then now, but I, now I've realized that my attention, the battle for my attention has been won by these, by these services, basically. Yeah. Uh, the conditioned part of me. And so um, what if I can actually in, uh, promote these attention-saving techniques through these services as well. Um, the train. So, the train. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, it's a Trojan horse, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the funniest thing yeah. is that, um, you know, that this is the irony of, of mindfulness and meditation, right? What has brought mindfulness and meditation to the masses? Mm. The smartphone. Mm-hmm. What's the thing most responsible for infecting us all and the biggest viral vector into our attention? The smartphone, right? And so it's, it's, it's pretty ironic that the smartphone is both the source of and cure for most of these problems, right? Which gets into the this thing I've been thinking about, and it's getting more clear in this conversation, which is that uh, we are entering a new age where, similar to that period of, of about a thousand years where we lost the practices, it seems like we're now entering a new age where something is different is coming. Um, that was what it feels like to me. Mm. Uh, other people would call it the singularity. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, it's, I'm not going to try to prophesize exactly what's going to happen, but but I do think that there is something weird going on, different. Uh, what's about to come is about to is going to be different, uh, and it has something to do with technology. It has something to do with consciousness. It, that so uh, there is a I'll go into it more. So Burning Man and San Francisco, um, uh, there is a weird cultural thing happen. Okay, I'll back up a little mm-hmm. bit longer. Uh, you go study history. You, If you go to uh, look at Japanese history, you have this experience of uh, uh, reading about these times where people discover these practices, yeah. and, and there's large-scale cultural creation. There's dance. There's there's yes. art. All these different things arise. It happened in India. It happened in Greece. Uh, and, and so it happens in all of these places. And then what we're experiencing there in San Francisco is there's this rise of technology and there's this rise of Burning Man. You go to Burning Man, there's cultural creation happening and it's yeah. spreading. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes back not only to San Francisco, but all the ra- to all the urban areas around the world. Um, and then it also infects the internet as well. Uh, but this particular interesting part is this Burning Man San Francisco thing because San Francisco goes to Burning Man. Uh, most mm-hmm. of the people go here and then they come back and the, tr- the culture of San Francisco changes. Yeah. And this technology piece as well so it's like and it's global and it's mediated by the internet which is our new thing which is a new thing that's happening which hasn't existed beforehand and then there's this other weird strain which is happening which is um the i see a global contraction happening you you mentioned it the the kind of nationalism or uh whatever factors are arising for trump to uh, get elected bolsonaro in brazil brexit and and britain eastern europe all these different places so we've got these two things. It seems like a mannequin battle for, for like, for, for, for like what's the future and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I find it interesting, and I don't know where it's going, but I'm hoping to uh, get more into that expansion kind of phase and help helping that um, so that – because it feels like that, that global connective thing is the thing that we didn't have in World War II uh, that we do have now, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, so um, why don't I just – kind of respond freeform and then let's see where it takes us. Um, and, and maybe let's start with uh, a super safe place to go, uh, which is, let's, I'll start by talking about politics. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> this will upset nobody. Um, and so 
I think if we zoom out, we have to recognize that nationalism arising across the country, or sorry, across the globe, um, should be an indicator that there's a systemic problem occurring. That it's not that Trump was Trump uh, in order to win, it's that, that something is tipping in society. Yeah. And my intuition is that um, I'm gonna go all the way back to the 1940s around this. And if you look at, um, if you think about World War II and the ending of World War II, the U.S. Um, spent a lot of time uh, in massive expansion mode, right? We're the only, you know, we're one of two superpowers, right? We're rebuilding the world, right? The, you know, uh, across the globe, we're basically cleaning up the after the set of disasters that we made, right? We're putting Europe back together, and it's just it's um and and I don't want to diminish the the devastation that w- that happened in Europe, but at least in the U.S., it was it was a pretty broad expansionary time. And during that time, there was this tight coupling between uh, different types of workers. Mm. So you have executives at, at companies um, who are rising at the same rate that blue-collar workers are. There's really no separation between the two. And then globalization happens. And what, what globalization, the, the, the struggle for any free market or anybody who's dogmatic about free markets um, is you have to start accounting for the fact that as soon as globalization occurs, you're decoupling the work year, you know, the blue collar workers from the success of white collar workers. Because now you can be a company and all of a sudden, you know, you're manufacturing everything in China. You know, you maybe split your manufacturing so that wages don't rise in the US and you put part of it in Vietnam or China. And if you look at this from a global perspective, it's probably globally good, but not necessarily good uh, in a local region. Well, why, mm-hmm. right? Well, the reason why goes back to the principle of psychology where what we care about, psychologically speaking, is relative status and relative wealth. So tons of studies that show this, but if you ask somebody, hey, would you rather make $120,000 a year when all your friends are making $140,000 a year, or would you rather make $100,000 a year and all your friends are making $80,000 a year? Most people would rather make less money themselves so long as they have a higher relative status than all their friends. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Okay, so it's, the 80s and 90s globalization is really kicking into effect. We've decoupled, right, uh, prosperity for uh, the white collar workers and people are allocating capital from people who are actually doing the work and the internet comes online. Mm. And what does the internet allow people to do, right? It allows for communication, it allows for people to form groups, to talk to each other, which by and large, again, is a very good thing, right? I'm, I'm not blaming the internet. but. Um, now we have to turn towards a framework, um, which is a great framework by a guy named Eugene Wei uh, around, he, he called it status as a service, and he talks about how, look, every human being is just a, static, a status-seeking monkey, right? So if you can't find your status through your job and your income and you're, getting beat, you know, and like you're feeling like you're getting beaten down, you need to find belonging and status somewhere else. What's the easiest way to do that is go find people online like you, and you start, and, and so how do you find status? It means you gotta write stuff online and put it online that's more provocative so it gets likes mm-hmm. right nobody nobody gets tons of likes and retweets when you say something pragmatic <laughs> down the center right like nobody gives a shit about that so people naturally start to bifurcate out right out to their to their quote unquote teams and i don't see this separation stopping mm-hmm. right the incentive systems are lined up so strongly uh, for people to be irrational, or I shouldn't say irrational, but they're seeking status and, they, and, and they're just looking for ROI on their time because they're not getting status from their job. And so 
Um, and so they seek it online. They get radicalized in some ways. And by the way, there's radicalization on the left also. I mean, I know saying that I'm in San Francisco. I'm sure like uh, the uh, social justice warriors will be after me really quickly, but I don't really care. But it's true, right? Yeah. Like when you can't even talk about the fact that nations have to have borders, um, you know, when, it, when it's so polarized that like one side is for no borders and the other side is for walls and nobody's talking about a commonsensical first principle based thinking. Mm. So we're in this radicalization and now I'll bring it all the way back to Burning Man in San Francisco, which <laughs> believe it or not is where we started, yeah. is there's a couple of ways to have transformational events. One is um, things get so bad they have to end, mm. which is the scary way, mm. right? Another way is there's some form of an enlightenment or something else that might happen that shows people a new path, mm. right? Sometimes those things get coupled because the only way to actually open your mind to something being better, the world has to get so bad before you're open to seeing it get better. And so uh, I can't predict the future uh, at all, And but, but what you said resonates with me on the dimension that the path that feels like we're going down is one of continued extremism on multiple sides, people uh, marching to their teams and away from each other inside of probably every country mm. on the planet mm-hmm. um, because of globalization. And uh, and so we're going to need a better way. Mm. And, I, and, and I'm not quite sure what that way is. Mm. But what I do know one way is if you stop caring about the status games. Yeah. And, the, and the way to do that is through, the opera, is through a goal or a, a seeking or a, a attraction to the operating system, to a new operating system. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, I, 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 I am, yeah, I very much don't think I have the answers to all world's problems, but it, <laughs> it, it does feel to me that if, um, as my mind has traversed the problem, it feels like from first principles, what we actually have is a psychological problem that's occurring. And the symptoms that we see in terms of political, uh, you know, kind of team building, uh, drug use, mm. etc is predominantly trying to solve either the status problem or you're numbing your pain, mm-hmm. right? So there's two ways to get away from the pain of mm-hmm. feeling like you're not good enough, right? You're, you, you know, you, you have a low paying job or you're, you're struggling in the world, right? One way is to find a group of people that will mm-hmm. give you status or give you attention to make you feel better. And you can do that by getting pretty radical online. Another way is just numb yourself out of the pain. And, you know, the, the opioid epidemic that we've got, I think is as much a symptom of this broader, I actually think the opioid problem is the same problem as Trump. That, that's what it, and what I was going to say is that both of those theme, things don't seem that different because to somebody who's seeking status, they're also seeking probably dopamine, but also uh, uh, beta endorphins. So we have we have our oh, yeah. we have our we have our systems inside of the body that also provide endorphins, and and one of those ways that we get that is through social interaction. Uh, and so it's it's not that different. Like uh, opioids probably are on the same. Uh, 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 it's probably the same root cause although that root cause changes for each individual, uh, is probably the same root cause as the, uh, as the social media addiction or finding your group or anything like that. There are, I think most addictions probably are very similar. Oh, no, they're, they're ab- you're absolutely yeah. right on that. I mean, if you've ever heard of a Skinner box and mm-hmm. all the other like, studies, you know, I mean, you, you know, we are, you know, it's easy for us to forget that we are, we are simply animals, yeah. right? And we have, uh, you know, very complex control systems inside of our body that release chemicals that make us have very specific sensations and reactions mm-hmm. uh, that are no different than a Pavlovian response, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think it's important to, to kind of remember that anytime we're interacting with uh, 
especially sophisticated technology companies mm-hmm. who know exactly how this stuff works and knows how to time mm-hmm. the release of dopamine, mm-hmm. right, uh, onto somebody, mm-hmm. right? Which is interesting. I wonder if we can adapt, because it feels like we're adapting. It feels like some part of the population is adapting to this. Uh, it seems that, like the first part of that population are people who are familiar with these classes that you're talking about and the, the, uh, and the motivations behind the technology that, that is being created, who, are, who, are, who built it, basically. And it seems like there are actually, I've got a few people who have interviewed, Andrew Murray Dunn is one of them who is trying to build technology, who came from this class of, of we're, we're building the technology to addict people, and then they're like, oh, we didn't do that. <laughs> uh, yes, let's, yes. Yeah, now, they're, yes. now they're trying to build the technology. It brings to mind this organism, essentially we view ourselves as individuals, we view ourselves as selves, but then if you look at it, that doesn't really make sense. It might make even more sense to view ourselves as organisms, uh, as a as the a collective organism that and that that identify ourselves with these groups. Because as you we were saying, with these groups that we have on social media, the, those are acting as almost units. So it's difficult to say this is this is where the individual begins and this is where the group begins or ends. Um, so I don't know. That's what, what do you think of that? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. Um, you know we. I, I, my mind keeps going to how do you win a battle mm-hmm. that um, when it's an individual versus an industry? And so, look, at, at my heart, I believe that free markets and capitalism have done more good in the world than any other force. Um, you know, if you just look at GDP per capita on a global basis and you go back hundreds of years, you see this just fucking insane inflection point, I think in the 1800s, mm-hmm. uh, where you know, GDP per capita just skyrockets. It mm-hmm. looks like a flat line and then it goes almost straight up vertical. Mm-hmm. And that is the power of free markets and unleashing you know, human potential. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to say a bunch of stuff against free markets. <laughs> um, and well, it's not entirely against free markets, but maybe it's against the construct of the current corporation. Oh. And so I went to business school. One of the things they teach you in business school is you need to act in the best interest of shareholders, right? So if I'm the shareholder of PepsiCo, right, and we make drinks and snacks and people like sugar, right? Um, I mean, literally, we're, every person on the planet is hardwired generally to like sugar. There's a reason why. It's because in nature, if you eat something and it's sweet, it means it's not poisonous. Um, and so it's actually a very safe thing to eat if it's sweet. So we've all evolved to actually love things that are sweet. And so, um, so if you know that and you're running a company, what do you do, right? You add sugar to just about everything because it makes it better. It makes it taste better, right? What are the societal costs of sugar being everywhere, right? Well, it's diabetes, obesity, hypertension, and, and you know, uh, and then we got a problem of, well, where does most of our sugar come from? Oddly enough, most of our sugar comes from corn. Uh, so how do you get sugar from corn? You, uh, you create too much corn because corn is generally grown in the Midwest in Iowa. And most politicians think that at some point in their life they're going to be president. So nobody comes out against subsidies for corn growers. You overproduce corn, right? So this is not the free market. This is government intervention in markets. This is a problem. You produce too much corn. you got to figure out what to do with it. And you invent high fructose corn syrup. Now it's really cheap to put sugar in everything because sugar actually, raw sugar is actually more expensive, right? So now we subsidize high fructose corn syrup. It goes into everything. And now you're fighting a war. Before I mentioned it's software eat your mind, this is the other war I used to talk about, which is it's biology versus chemistry. And the chemists are the ones making the food. And so how do you fight a battle as an individual versus an industry who's structurally incentivized to actually give you diseases? And so I keep, the, my struggle on this is, you can teach people these practices of like, okay, here's how to basically ensure you're going to be a healthy person, right? 
uh, one of my old jokes, uh, this is from my digital health company that I, that I started with uh, with a co-founder and, uh, and a bunch of other people doing great work. One of my jokes was, stay away from anything that was ever in white powder form. Right? <laughs> so sugar, cocaine, flour, they're all bad for you, right? Yeah. Anything that's ever been heroin, like anything that's ever been in white powder form where you can get in white powder, stay away from it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can come up with these clever things and these behavioral hacks around like, okay, take your soda if you need soda in the house and put it up in the garage and so that it's still there if you want it, but, you know, you, you make it harder using BG. Fox model, motivation, ability, trigger, make the ability harder, right? Like hide the food somewhere in your house so it's harder to get. But that stuff doesn't scale. And it is, uh, and so I, I, I keep bouncing back to this notion of if we're going to solve the problem, we might need to solve it from multiple dimensions. One is helping more and more people upgrade their operating systems. And two, finding ways to price in the externalities of structures into products. So sugar should be probably taxed. I did a math one time. My best guess was I think it was like ninety dollars a pound or something like that. It was like something obscene, where like a, a roll of Smarties should probably cost like four bucks, um, in order to account for the externalities and of sugar. Subsidize the vegetables. Yeah, yeah, and we but we do the exact opposite, yeah. right? Like we make it harder to get vegetables and we subsidize shit food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my my interest is you need to probably start pricing externalities. We probably also need to start reimagining what the role of a corporation is, mm-hmm. and you know what is the duty of a company? Is it to maximize shareholder value? Mm-hmm. Again, like let's go back to the principle I was talking about before around why so many people are unsatisfied with their life. Right? You have this disconnect between people who are allocating capital, white collar type jobs, versus people doing more physical work, blue collar jobs, and globalization's you know keeping them down. But principles are causing. Mm-hmm a big portion of economic inequality because if you're optimizing for shareholder value, well, who are the shareholders? Mostly, you know, the the capital class, like people who've got enough capital to invest and or the executives running the company. And so we probably need to think about how do you empower people with tips and tricks to like get around these problems? How do we reimagine the role of a corporation? And is it about shareholders? I don't think so. I, I think there should be probably a broader purpose. I'm not saying it should be socialization. I think we need to keep the power of free markets reimagine what the role of the corporation is and we need to be out there promoting new os's for your mind right and uh, And it seems like so you mentioned earlier about stress and kind of or maybe you didn't mention it but i'm remembering that you mentioned about stress oh yeah the dark times the dark times you need to go through the dark times to wake wake up essentially uh and that has been very true for me uh uh and I wonder if that's happening on a global scale as well right now. And I oh, wonder, wow. Yeah, I wonder if that is actually wow. happening. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so uh, that landed, uh, that, that concept landed with me. And yeah. um, let me share a little bit why. There's, um, so I'm in London. I have my new operating system. And I walk into a restaurant with my family. And I immediately feel disgust. Like I'm disgusted by the notion of eating. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. I wonder if I'm sick or something. And the next day we go to eat again. And the same thing happens. And I'm like, what the same fuck? Restaurant? Uh, no, different yeah. place. Uh-huh. And I start reading online. At the time, I'm totally lost in terms of what I'm going through. And there's this notion in, in certain contemplative practices of a dark night, yeah. right? And I think mm-hmm. this is what you're referring to. So trying to bring other people along. It's like, hey, along this journey, you're going to have some real trials and tribulations along the, mm-hmm. along the way, right? And so, man, it does feel like, uh, you know, uh, it, it does feel like the world's going through a dark night. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily feel like an optimistic time across mm-hmm. the globe, mm-hmm. right? And, and one ho- only hopes that we've got the wisdom to get past this type of challenge better than we did in the past. Because the last time we were in this type of stage, um, if my reading of history is correct, probably is the 1930s. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a scary, you know, that, that's very scary to think of with nuclear weapons and the 
the what I what I could best call uh, the unprincipled leaders that we have across the world. And this is the thing that I struggle with all the time: is like, do we have agency as a society or as individuals in terms of if we are in that? Is are we in a destiny type situation, a fate situation, where we're just going to roll into that? And it's kind of like, well, let's see if some of us can survive. Or are is there things we can do either individually or as a society that can help maybe change the tide? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. One of the things that I um, I think about is there's a lot of people who are never Trump, but the problem is is if we go really far to the left, mm-hmm. we've we, we actually haven't stopped the cycle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? If mm-hmm. if there's a set of the, if there's a portion of the country if we don't get back to compromise being a positive thing, right? If the left uh, says well okay. Trump was a shit show. The Republican Party has no morals and no compass and no true north, which I will say feels to be true. Mm. Then we should just railroad everything we want through mm. uh, and push forward. And I think it's one of the reasons why Pete Buttigieg and Andrew Yang have got some real following mm. is because I think there's a bunch of people who recognize that we need some first principled thinkers who aren't dogmatic who will sit down and analyze a problem and really deeply think about it. Um, because you know, one of the things I, I believe to be true is that if you truly identify with a political party, you're not an independent thinker. Mm-hmm. There, what's the probability that, that your independent ideas align on, let's say, let's imagine there's 15 critical issues in the world. What are the odds that my, 15, my independently thought out 15 points of view mm-hmm. align perfectly with a party? <laughs> And if you go around and ask people who self-identify with a party, well, what about your party do you disagree with? Generally speaking, they can't give you an answer. Mm. And so we're in a period of like mass delusion where people don't want to think for themselves. Mm. And so there's an element of waking up, not in a um, consciousness sense that we talked about before in terms of meditation type of waking up, but waking up to the delusion that we're not actually thinking for ourselves anymore societally Mm -hmm. that each person should sit down and ask themselves the question of really hard questions abortion Mm -hmm. death taxes immigration Mm -hmm. where do you actually land on these questions and when you spend the time thinking about it man they're fucking hard questions Mm -hmm. and sure it's easier to just adopt somebody else's point of view but if you're not going to think about it we will perpetuate the cycle because the institutions themselves or the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, and they're not going to give up institutional control um, or you know, their desires to brainwash, I don't want to say brainwash, but to ensure that everyone toes the party line. And on the left right now, you get eviscerated for potentially saying something that might not align with the party line right now. I mean, it's just astonishing. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Um. Yeah, and might if I turn it around and ask Go you a for question? It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think comes after the dark night? So, if we, so mm-hmm. if globally we're in a dark night, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and it's this dark period, how do we? What's the judo move, right? Where we've got all these pressures. What's the judo move that gets us out of the dark night mm. uh, collectively? That's so. What I see is you don't have to go through the dark night of the soul. You, it is a way to, it is like a last resort way. 
there is a way to do it where you don't have to go all the way through. It, like you said, you were talking about when you experience suffering, you now know that, oh, that suffering yeah. is a trigger, right? Mm. And so there is a way to do it, maybe even collectively. Uh, my, my, the, where I'm putting my money and my energy is essentially using this tool of the internet to s hopefully build a network of global citizens. It's a, it's a tactic that other people have used, like, uh, what's his name, Fulbright. Fulbright, you know, yeah. like, yeah. basically it's got people from all these different countries. That's where my that's where I'm placing my bet. Basically, is how to how to actually um, network the urban centers, the capital class, the the people in these different uh, uh, things. Not only the capital class as well, the the consciousness class as well, the the, the hippies and all the all these people who are connected to the internet, who have stakes in each of these national borders, and essentially networking them together in a way that can uh, uh, influence politics uh, or influence. Uh, 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 borders or something like that. That's that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I think that is, um, it's, what's interesting is it, you know your mission mm. feels very analogous to to my North Star of lives transformed, mm. right? Yeah. Like, uh -huh. yep. like because um, uh, uh, that is an absolute powerful way to do it. Mm. And you know, I think one of the things that will be very telling to me in the coming election will be. You know, the, the success of a Buttigieg or an Andrew Yang to me will signal mm -hmm. what's our appetite for, uh, for a nuanced point of view. One in which compromise is viewed not as um, a, a negative word. I would actually love to see the compromise party get started, right? Mm. Like, if I, if I was going to start, like, an, an, an independent political party, I'd like, I would probably try to, you know, brand it as the egoless compromise party, mm. right? Like, we will never make decisions in our self-interest, right? <laughs> we will only make decisions for the collective good. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten more and more interested in philosophy, mm. um, and you know, there's the a there's, king or uh, that? the philosopher king. Yeah, or, yeah. The, the, uh -huh. the, well, just the general notion that you know the people won't be happy until you know the the rulers or philosophers you know until rulers become philosophers or philosophers become rulers. Um, and one of the sayings that I loved out of that is um, is this notion of you know happy is the mind that understands the causes of things. Mm. And I think one of those things that we probably all sense is that our rulers have no understanding of the causes of anything, right? And so how can you trust them on either side? And there right? is a silent, I think there is a silent majority that does agree very much with what you just said, or at least intuits or, or feels it. But the yeah. silent majority is silent. Uh, and, and there are these, uh, these other minorities which are very loud and have basically co-opted the mechanism for attention, it seems like. Well, but, but so maybe let me try to fit this in, and I may be putting a square peg into a round hole, so I want you to kind mm. of push me if you feel this is off. I wonder how much of that has to do with so much of what gets momentum is based on what's happening on Twitter or Facebook, yeah. where you know, the people you know, posting the sensible you know, things in the middle don't get retweeted by famous people, yeah. right? Like most, you know, yeah. you know let, let's, let's outline all the big name people we can think of that we would generally say are first principle thinkers down the middle. Elon Musk, and I'm out. Like, like, <laughs> I, I can't think of another one. Interesting. And so, you know, you, you know, how do you? Then the then the question that pops to mind is like, how do you get those masses in the middle? Which I think mm -hmm. I, I believe is true. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you get them? Because by the way, they've decided they're not going to play these status games, right? That they're not going to do this stuff, right? It's like 
you're not going to spend all day tweeting and trying to get status and everything else. How do you get heard in the digital age if you're not going to play the game, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it gets increasingly hard, right? There's there's one solution, which is a massive fucking checkbook. Um, you know, so an example would be like Mike Bloomberg, right? Mm-hmm. I would argue Bloomberg is probably it's a name I would say is a first principle thinker, right? Like everybody made fun of him for banning, you know, supersized sodas in New York City. Um, to me, I look at that as like, yeah, we have a fucking sugar problem in this country and it's killing everybody. And at least he tried to do something. Now, maybe he was misguided um, in terms of how to do it, but at least he understands the causes of things, mm-hmm. right? Like, I want to get to the question that was upstream of the statement that you just made which is that mo- this silent majority that is, that is uh, of this opinion that the f- uh, philosophers should be rulers and rulers should be philosophers, uh, does that, so w- there's a question there, which is that um, how do you motivate the, or is it possible to motivate the silent majority who believes that philosophers should be rulers and rulers should be philosophers? Or how do you get them to speak up? How do you get them to speak up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the struggles is um, they look at both sides Mm. and they say, not for me. And they're looking and waiting for a candidate. Hence my my hypothesis that a lot of them early on navigated to Buttigieg, right? I think that's why he went from like zero to like 14 or 15% overnight Mm. because I think he attracted a lot of those people, right? Like, oh my God, here's a thoughtful... Uh, you know, a thoughtful war veteran who's got some, you know, executive experience being a mayor of a city, uh, you know, who uh, is progressive in his thinking, but non-dogmatic, can break down a problem like a McKinsey consultant because he was a fucking McKinsey consultant, Mm. right? Mm. And when he talks, like, you just hear sensibility, right? Mm. Um, It's actually, you know, uh, and so then, so I think a lot of them gravitate towards that. But the other problem is that they're not willing to participate in politics. Mm. So, uh, you know, I've, I've contemplated like, well, maybe I should get involved in politics. And the problem is it's like I could never get elected because I'd say what I thought <laughs> uh, as opposed to what the party line is. So no party would ever get behind me. Yeah. And therefore, there's no way to get into politics. And therefore, there's no way to have scale at the level of policy. So then if, you're, if your personal North Star is transform lives, you then navigate towards technology. because it's content. The, Yeah, and, and, and content. Yeah, yeah, which is that because that's the way. That, and that is, you know, I remember reading years ago about something in Indonesia to get people in Indonesia to stop throwing plastic in the water. They went on TV and they created a TV show that would that would teach people about how not to throw your plastic in the water. Yeah. And it worked like marvelously. Yeah. Uh, and so that's 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 really interesting. That makes sense now that why, how you made the jump to, to Masterclass and starting create, to create content that can help sort of these things and stuff like that. Yeah, and and I think that so much of our problems is education, mm-hmm. right? I mean, really what we're talking about is there's there's more good people. Look, the, the problem with the planet isn't that we have too many bad people. We have way too many good people infected with really bad ideas. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how do you basically, um, you know, cure people of the disease? Well, one of the problems is is that, and I don't have any problem saying this because hopefully if anybody's listening, they recognize that I don't affiliate with either party really, mm-hmm. um, is at least on one side, you've got Fox News and uh, it's hard for me, it, you know, being ob- even as objective as I can be to see them not just spewing, um, you know, lies mm-hmm. and spinning of things. And so, uh, you know, how do you disabuse people of things that they're hearing all the time? Because one of the reasons I think that people kind of get radicalized is we talked earlier about this notion of, all right, let's go all the way back to consciousness, right? (laughs) So consciousness is just what we all experience all the time. 
even if you have something playing in the background, it seeps into your mind. Mm-hmm. I am totally convinced one of the reasons I probably ended up in meditation was if I can look back and so there might be a narrative fallacy here or some other cognitive bias where I'm only remembering certain things, but like one of my favorite bands is Pearl Jam. I went to a Pearl Jam show a couple years ago. One of my favorite songs by them is Present Tense. Mm-hmm. Present Tense is literally about being in the present moment, right? Not beating yourself up about the past and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. Um, and that stuff, I think, just seeps into my subconscious in the same way that like listening to podcasts kind of seeps into your subconscious. And eventually, like the thoughts that arise, which you're not authoring to begin with anyway, um, start to reflect what you're hearing. And so the fact that somebody might even leave Fox News on in the background can be enough to change your perspective uh, even if you're not even paying attention to it that much, right? There's this interesting spectrum of consciousness, which is you can be from like basic awareness and aware of anything to constricting down. You know, attention is really just the constriction of consciousness. And you don't actually need to constrict conscious, meaning pay attention to something to have it influence consciousness in your mind, mm. right? Which is, gets into a really interesting point. Uh, and we don't have that much time left. So we'll take another yeah. like five, yeah. five, ten minutes. And so is that this idea that... Um, this thing that I identify with, this this focused attention, this the doer, the the thing that focuses my attention on various things, and I identify with the thoughts, the emotions, and everything like that. Uh, uh, that thing is is just a recent evolutionary development. Uh, the other parts, there's the triune model of the brain where we have layer one, which is regulatory, layer two, which is emotional, mammalian, we share that with mammals, the regular mm-hmm. one, level one we share with uh, reptiles, and then level three, which we share with primates, which is this cortex that allows me, and that we, it has become more developed with us, and that allows mm-hmm. us to have this kind of sense, sense of, of self. Uh, so that's just that last, that third layer. Uh, but there's these other things like the level level one, which is like complete will take over if I if 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 I need to will take over. Uh, yes. Like yes. if there's a tiger there, that level yes. one level two will will take over in a way that my this thing that I call myself has no control whatsoever. Yes. And so like, uh, and I've seen it happen before where I'll go into a meeting, and I'll go into that meeting and I'll. I'll something that I know for sure will be totally blocked off from my focus because of something in my body that is is recognizing something or something like that. So it gets into this this thing that we identify with is just such a small part of our being, but we turn it into the whole thing, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. And, and I think one of the things that you... You mentioned there in terms of talking about those three levels of the brain, and I'm not I'm not familiar with that science to, to espouse upon it, but I can um, kind of speak from a little bit of, of my experience, which is... Um, each level of consciousness or, or, or uh, each level of the mind, um, you still have access to every other level of the mind. So to your point, like you and I are sitting in a conference room. If a tiger showed up in the corner instantaneously without thinking about it, we'd be out the door, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and, to, and it doesn't matter if you were – uh, if you're in the level of the mind that's you know consumed by thought, or if you're in the level of mind of awake awareness, um, we each have equal access mm. to the mind. And mm-hmm. so the the dimensions of the mind that you can move up, um, it's it's almost like a video game. It's like you're you're adding powers. You're never subtracting anything. And there's a word for it in technology when something is backdated. When something when when you jump to a new technology or when you it was with consoles with video game consoles that backwards like, compatibility. Yeah, backwards compatibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and and it turns out every subsystem that you view as the the self um, uh, is available on demand. It's just that you no longer need to identify with it. Mm. So, uh, you know, I can have this conversation with you and, and not once, uh, you know, get distracted by a thought arising and distracting me. But if I want to think, I can do that 
when I want, mm. right? And so it's not... Um, and that gets into agency and, and free will, which is always an interesting conversation, yeah, <laughs> particularly so, with people who meditate. Yeah, so I'm not a, um, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm not a believer in free will. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that to me was probably one of the hardest things to get to mm. um, because without free will, uh, then you know, do, you, you yeah. know, do you live in a deterministic world? And what does it mean? Um, and then do you lose some sense of desire or, you know, do you, do you become a couch potato and want to do nothing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what I've realized is um, if you're operating in the innate operating system we all have, uh, you are actually more motivated. Um, you know, you're, you, the default system is one that is uh, is actually looking to help people. There's a there's innate caring and a desire to make a difference and to improve the world. Um, and, and so, like right now too, that's the cool thing is that it happens in this immediate moment. Like you, you yeah. come into contact with people and you want yeah. to help them there, yeah. not in some sort of abstract way where I'm going to like help people in this future that's all created in my mind. But it's like right now, you know. Yeah, yeah. and and because. And, and one way I would describe the new operating system is this um, innate balance where awareness is focused on two things. One is uh, yourself um, and your body predominantly, not your mind, but your body. And you basically place awareness outside of yourself. Um, now, that sounds crazy until you realize when you say outside of yourself, you're still talking about consciousness. So there's a space between where Stuart and I are, there's a desk and there's a space between it. We both perceive the space, and we're each perceiving the space, and the space exists, but it only exists in our consciousness. Mm. Well, it exists in the real physical world, too, so I'm not making a metaphysical claim, but it's, but it's still consciousness. And so I am simply trying to place awareness in both my body and outside my body to have that balance effect. And so earlier on in the conversation, I mentioned I was so tied up in my mind. Mm. All my awareness was, like, tied to my thoughts. And so I could go to a party, my, my wife calling me a nice hole, <laughs> is because... I'm generally a nice guy, but I don't really give a shit about what's happening in the world around me. I care about what's happening in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you actually get to that balance point, you become way more interested in everything. Everything is inter- interesting, right? Like, I'd never met you before, but, like, you're super interesting. And, yeah. like, I want to know more. And if you had met me six months ago, you'd be like, that's a different fucking dude, right? Uh, like, Wow. That happened um, that quickly? Was that? <laughs> that happened that quickly in six months? Probably two months. Oh, okay, two months. Wow. Yeah, so um, June 14th. Was the, I, I remember vacation. because it was the day before the vacation yeah, started. Yeah, I remember yeah. June fifteenth was uh, June fourteenth was the day I lost a sense of self and popped into the operating system. And so, but um, well, yeah, that's really cool. Okay, well, so, so this seems like a good good uh, good point to end. But before we end, uh, so usually what I try to do is I try to uh, uh, find what the expertise that you have is, and then uh, 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 try to pull out something that can be helpful to the listeners. And mm. so expertise that you have I mean there's a lot of a lot of stuff we've talked about seems like the operating system is good but we've covered that a lot um, yeah. we got the masterclass uh, the content the North Star of okay how how, do, how what is some concrete uh, ways that somebody can find their North Star oh that's a great question I think one thing uh, wow that's really hard you know, my, uh, I've got an exec coach, and my exec coach has been, you know, as much as meditation has helped me, he's been a big part of me kind of reviewing the world in different ways. And he, um, one Saturday, he texted me this amazing quote from Pablo Picasso, something along the lines of, you know, the, um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the wording wrong, but bear with me. It's like the meaning in life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away, mm-hmm. right? So this notion of figuring out what you're actually world-class at and then find a way to give it away. I don't know if I've found anything I'm world-class at yet. Um, uh, I'm... 
I, I can tell you what feels easy to me that might feel hard to others, right? So there's like this notion of how do you recognize other people's gifts? Um, I've been having this conversation with my exec coach and it's like, well, gee, one way to view your own gift is to say what's easy for me that's hard for others and one way to view other people's gifts is what's easy for them that would be hard for me. Mm. And I think one thing I, I enjoy profoundly is first principle thinking mm. and never being afraid to start over. So like last week or two weeks ago, I think it was about two weeks ago, I, um, I decided I wanted to learn how to read again. And not being able, you know, being willing to admit that like, maybe I don't know how to read right. Um, and it's like the most basic of things. Now, of course I could string letters into words and words into sentences and, uh, and read them, but was I reading in the right way to really understand? And so I, um, I, I came across this blog, Farnham Street, which is like amazing. And he's got like 30 articles on like how to read better. And so I just spent all this time reading about how to read better. And it's the most basic of skills, but I realized I was reading wrong. And so maybe one thing I would encourage people to do is do not be, and by the way, it's certainly easier to admit if you have no sense of self or ego, right? Because it's like, well, who cares if I say I don't know how to read or <laughs> comprehend things properly? Um, but it's not being scared to just say, yeah, I'm not sure I got that right. I should just start over from the mm-hmm. very basics. So I was like, I'm going to start everything over. I'm going to learn to read again. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to read just the classics. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read the fundamentals and the basics. Because I actually believe creativity comes from the intersection of disparate principles. Mm-hmm. Like if we transported back 2,000 years ago, we'd be the smartest people on the planet in basically every fucking subject area, right? Except we wouldn't be able to figure out how to find food in a... <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah, yeah and that's, yeah. Probably, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. there's no supermarkets. We'd be kind of screwed. Yeah. It's the exception <laughs> of staying alive. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we might not be able to stay alive. Yeah. But um, but on every other, uh, let's conceptual say, knowledge, conceptual yeah. or abstract mm-hmm. domain, mm-hmm. we'd be the smartest people on the planet. Um, but the problem is now most fields have been well traversed, right? Yeah. So if you want to figure out something in math now, you have to figure out some theorem that's been around for thousands of years that like nobody's ever figured out, right? It's, it's pretty hard to do. So we view creativity in the most simplistic forms, right? What was Moneyball? Mm-hmm. Moneyball was the application of basic mathematics to sports. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, oh my God, Billy Bean is so innovative. Mm-hmm. And everyone in business is like, let's do Moneyball, right? It's <laughs> like they're not thinking of it as the next thing. Or, yeah, that's yeah. right. And so... So I guess if I could encourage folks to think about something, it's think about first principles, recognize that um, it's never too late to start over to just say, I don't know anything about anything because that's the world I feel like I live in. I know nothing about everything. And so I should start over and just start learning again. Mm. And then I should look for novel ways to combine the elemental things I'm learning to help transform people's lives You know, here at Masterclass um, or anywhere else I can in the world. Mm. And, uh, and really that's how, uh, that's how I intend to spend the rest of my life. Cool. And so how can people find out more about you or, or interact with you or maybe on Twitter or something like that? Sure. So my, my, my handle is Williamson Mark. Um, yeah, it's at Williamson Mark. Uh, I signed up for Twitter early enough that I, I could have gotten Mark Williamson and I didn't and I'm such an idiot. <laughs> um, I picked some other, like I had a Unix uh, username when I was in college, so uh-huh. I used that for everything. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, this is stupid. Like nobody, like everyone's using like real names. <laughs> so at Williamson Mark, uh, you know, feel free to tweet at me. Um, I happily tweet back. Anything else they should know about what you're doing or what you're working on? Um, I'm really interested in building new mental models for the new operating system. Mm. I think if you think about all the cognitive models that we look at in behavioral psychology, they're all predicated on the ego identification mind. And I think that there are new decision frameworks and new mental models that can exist for the new operating system. 
And how, if you've got the new operating system, how can you use it to your advantage? Um, to do good in the world, preferably. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and how can you explore it? If you think that the world's going to go there, you can kind of be on the frontier of discovery because most of the people with that, uh, with that capability um, uh, uh, don't talk too much about it, as far as I can tell. The next podcast we should do, there's two subjects I'd really like to talk to you about because you talked about the biology-chemistry, that battle. Yeah. And I feel like that battle is about to become much more in, uh, much more influential. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one is that this uh, that this uh, operating system, new, new operating system, does not automatically come with an operating system for good or evil. So it can be used for both good and evil, I would, I would assume. I think that's right. I think what it does is, um, I suppose it's much like power. Yeah is that power doesn't change you, it amplifies what exactly. you are. Yep. And so, um, you know, there are more than the fair share of people who were considered gurus or spiritual teachers who um, would be viewed almost as deities by people because you could teach people these things that, I mean, if, if you walked up to somebody and said, I can teach you how to never suffer again in your life, yeah. and then you actually teach somebody how to do it, right, you're viewed as almost like, a, you know, like an amazing figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so many of them misbehave, yeah. right, in like the most profound ways. And so it is not the case that the new operating system uh, comes default. But I, I, I'll go back to a premise I had earlier, which is uh, I think the world is predominantly dominated by good people who are infected with bad ideas. And the nice thing is if you get back to your base operating system, you flush a lot of those bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. This has been really cool. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please find us on iTunes by searching for Crazy Wisdom. Uh, You can also find us on Spotify or Stitcher uh, and go ahead and subscribe. And if you really enjoyed this episode, please leave us a a review. Uh, And I'm always on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I, if you want to let me know what you think, if you want to join the breathwork sessions or if you want to join any of these other live kind of uh, things I'm doing to help support the community for this podcast, please please find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. Uh, Have a great day.